0: No Gray Zone podcast is a frank and honest conversation on topics related to sexual abuse, harassment, child exploitation, and domestic and workplace violence. The opinions are our own, based on years of experience as special victims prosecutors. Any study, book, or product we mention is based on our own review and are not sponsored. Links and titles can be found in the podcast notes. You can also learn more at rightresponseconsulting.com. Listener discretion is advised.
1: I'm just good at caring too much. I'm just good at caring.
0: Welcome back. I'm Katherine Marsh. And I'm Melissa Hotmeyer, and this is No Gray Zone Podcast. For our last episode in season two, we are honored to welcome Heath Phillips, a veteran, a national speaker on sexual assault, hazing, and male victimization.
2: Heath has bravely shared his story of sexual assault in the military with the aims of raising awareness of the ongoing issue of sexual assault in the military, and to help end the stigma against male survivors. He has spoken at many naval and army bases and been featured on many media outlets and newspapers telling his story and talking about the need to end the stigma. That includes Oprah and the New York Times, all in the hopes of ending the stigma and ending sexual assault. So welcome, Keith.
3: Thank you all of you for having me on here. It's a great honor. Thank you.
0: We are, as I said, honored to have you here. On no Gray Zone, we've talked before about the issues with sexual assault in the military, and it's not a new concept, but we know that there's a lot more information about the rates of sexual assault in the military and at least more support now than we've had in the past. You first reported your sexual assault, I believe it was 1988 when you were 17 years old. So for you, what have been the biggest changes you have seen and what changes have you not seen when it comes to reporting?
3: The biggest change I've seen is actually the programming that they have. When I was in in 1988, 1989, we didn't have the program, the SAPRO Sexual Assault Response Program, and we didn't have, each military branch has their own name for it, but it is, basically, it's how you can report a sexual assault to an outside of your immediate person, and you can do unrestricted or restricted reporting, depending on your level of what you want to do. For me, the things that I look at when I do my speaking is I was 17. If I would have been afforded all the opportunities that they had now, what my life would have been like afterwards. Cause now you get mental health help. You get the help that you need to be able to process things. You know, at 17 years old, I didn't get any help and it wasn't like one assault. It was two assaults. It was 10 months of assaults and not, knowing how to get help and actually not knowing what was wrong with me, you know, because I, I mentally didn't know that I had issues with the programming. Now, oh my gosh, my first reporting, I could have been transferred. I could have gotten mental health help. I could have figured out what was wrong. And I love that about the program. I, I really do that. Nobody realizes how many lives that program, Sharp for the Army, has actually saved Nobody looks at that aspect. They they look at the negative aspects of everything else. The bad things that I see is still the chain of command issues. I was beating on the doors of my chain of command trying to get help, and they ignored it. And I still see that as a pattern today. The chain of command still ignores a lot of things, or they do the, he's my buddy, I'm going to let it go, or well, you were too drunk. You know, there's too much of the victim blaming that goes on with the chain of command and they don't want to see their friends get in trouble. Not realizing in the end, you know, it's not just their friend, their friend's family. I mean, they they got to know that their members or their family is a perpetrator. You know, how, how does it affect all these different entities? And that's what bothers me with how the chain of command goes about it. They are more interested in, don't tarnish what I look like. and they don't look at the victim. They don't look at how all the the scenarios of the effects are. I am thankful that Senator Gilbrand is getting so much help right now with that. Um, I actually just read an article. I was waiting to hop on here that Senator Jack Reed is now jumping on board. And he has been the biggest opposition for years since he started this. And now he's on board. So I was like, oh, yes.
0: Change is coming. <laughs>
2: Change is coming and we cannot wait to talk about what that change is and how you're how you are working with Senator Gillibrand to to help affect that change. But I think I want to talk a little bit more about what you said you were banging on the doors of your command staff to try to report your, you know, your sexual assault, the ongoing sexual assault, and that they didn't listen to you. And, you know, Catherine and I in our day jobs as special victims prosecutors, what we admire so much about our survivors is their strength to tell their story time and time again to enforce that this happened to them and to make people believe them, whether that's the police, whether that's a jury. Survivors have so much strength. And you did in, at 17 years old in 1988, when you know sexual assault wasn't something that was readily talked about generally, especially not in the military. Where did you find the persistence to continue to file these complaints, especially when your superiors kept turning you down or not listening to you? And when these people who are supposed to be protecting you Wouldn't believe
3: you? (laughs) You know, honestly, I don't know. I was raised that if I saw something wrong, you know, I'm supposed to speak up, I'm supposed to tell. I jokingly say it's because I'm the youngest. You know, my older sister is extremely mean to me. and, And so my parents were like, well, come tell, you know, she's doing something bad to you. My dad and my mom talked about it with everyday life. That was something that I grew up believing and thinking about. So from day one, my very first assault, I knew it was wrong. Granted, I didn't understand it, but I knew it was wrong. And I I still am amazed that I kept doing it. Because, you know, nobody realizes until, you know, they're in them shoes. When you're being dismissed by somebody, whether it's your chain of command or, or somebody in authority, and you're being called a liar or this doesn't happen or you're mama's boy or whatever it is that they're saying to you, that's kind of almost revigmatizing you all over again. And it, it makes your self-worth so low. And for years I even today I still struggle with this. What is so wrong with me? Why can't people help me? Why don't people believe me? Why don't people why do I get pushed away? Why why do people leave me? And it's that struggle because of how many times I kept dealing with being told I was a liar and this doesn't happen and I go to therapy but no amount of therapy has helped that you know it's helped in other aspects but that that is still one of them things and it's just insane thinking about how much courage I had and how because I wasn't just angry I was scared and I didn't want this to happen anymore you know and it, it wasn't just scared it was the physical pain that was also being involved behind it and I didn't want that physical pain anymore and. I just kept telling them and telling them and it didn't matter.
0: You know, Heath, you've articulated what Melissa and I try to share so often when we do training with law enforcement or with school administrators or the military, it doesn't matter. It's the, there's two main things we hope everybody takes is one, start with belief. When a survivor comes to you is, as we say all the time, sexual assault is the only crime we know that starts with a question mark or a doubt when the victim makes a report, unlike any other crime. And the other is understanding that sexual assault is just a traumatic event and it needs to be considered and treated differently because of the trauma that's inherent to it. And you've articulated how that trauma and how not being believed exasperates the trauma, but I am the only girl with my siblings and I am the mom of three boys. And anybody who listens to this podcast knows, I always talk about the fact that we often leave the male voice outside of the conversation of sexual assault and males have a strong voice in this conversation, whether it's bystander intervention or to destigmatize male survivors. And especially when it comes to our males being able to report sexual assault. So you've been a part of this advocacy since your own abuse. Can you talk a little bit about why you think it's so hard for men to report? And what are some of the current movements or advocacy that are being done to try to help overcome that?
3: Where to begin with that one? Um, My biggest thing when it comes to sexual assault is the media, movies, things like that, hype it up as it being only a woman's issue, and as a male survivor, being assaulted by men. The the philosophy behind everything, you know, so I was raised in, I call it toxic masculinity. So I was raised that I was supposed to be tough, and I was supposed to take a punch, and punch back, and I better be punching back harder. So in the era that I was raised, most boys were raised that same way. And it dates back farther, you know, we're we're supposed to be tough, we're strong, nothing happens to us. So for a man who is being trained to be in the military, where it's a rough, dominant, tough environment, trying to admit to somebody that, oh my God, I'm weak and this happened to me, is extremely hard. Where I have issues with uh, sexual assault and males and all that is, we got the Me Too movement. And I love the Me Too movement. It, it, I was very, very excited to hear about the Me Too movement. But all I kept hearing wasn't about the male survivors stepping up. All I kept hearing was, well, men need you know, to do this, and men need to change this, or men need to you know the bystander that we're not seeing. But what about the men who were being assaulted? What about them? And, and men see that. And I say that because I talk to a lot of male survivors. And prime example, I used to go to D.C. all the time, focusing on legislation. Now, the legislation that I focus on is not a gender-specific issue. I believe sexual assault is a human issue. It's not a gender issue. It doesn't matter that I'm a man or not. That's how I believe it. And I was told by a woman that I needed to step back, know my role. This is a woman's issue. Let the women handle it and her a friend of hers kind of said the same thing she goes, like we want men involved you know we were raped by men And, and I stepped back I took a couple deep breaths and I said well just so you guys know I was raped by six men too I am no different than you and that is the perception that men get because a woman's assaulted most of the time is a male so what a man's trying to come forward as a survivor, we we get beat back down. Unfortunately, we call ourselves the minority of the minority because we are the ones that nobody talks about. Same with the transgender; nobody talks about sexual assault with transgenders. Where are they involved in this? And, and that's why when I promote everything, it's not a human issue. It, it, sexual assault doesn't discriminate between your race, it doesn't your age, gender, nothing. It, it doesn't discriminate. Rape is rape until our society. Starts talking that direction, men are going to be always overlooked. But I'm saying it from my heart because that's how I've been seeing it. You know, I've been since 2009 fighting, trying to not just be recognized, but to help men get their voices. And when I see men coming forward and then they get beat down over all these issues, it's like how are, how are we going to combat this? The only way to combat it is all of us joining arms together men women transgender we have to be arm in arm on this you know men can't step backwards men can't be in front we all have to be standing next to each other and until everybody learns that this is going to be a huge huge uphill battle and i know that and that's why i'm so vocal because i need to change this you know I can't say I'm going to be the one changing it, but that, that's how I look at it.
2: You're absolutely right. This is not, it is not a gender issue. It's an issue that affects people of all races, all genders, all sexual orientations, all, however they identify. No one is, should be left out of the conversation because anybody can be a survivor and survivors should work together because we as a community are better when we work together to try to combat sexual assault in all avenues. And so I know you started talking a little bit about how you have been on Capitol Hill talking and dealing, trying to make changes. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you have been working with Senator Gillibrand's office, who has been an outspoken critic of the way the military deals with sexual assault and, and advocating for a change and what you think is necessary to make that change?
3: So this is kind of funny. She's actually my son. I own a house in New York. I have met her since she first started doing the uh, Military Justice Improvement Act. Her and I know each other on first name basis. It's so funny. Uh, I was in Senator McCaskill's before she was voted out. I was sitting in her office waiting, trying to convince her to sign on to the Military Justice Improvement Act when uh, Jill Ryan was first coming out with it. Hurston saw me and it's like, oh my God, come through the office door. Gave me a big hug, kissed me on the cheek, and thanked me for being there. I actually have a picture because there was a a lady that was following me around doing photos and got a picture of it. But for me, like I used to go to Joey Ernst's office all the time, Senator Ernst. I wholeheartedly tell everybody I am part of the reason why she jumped on board because I I kept talking to her. and And I just didn't share my story. I would always bring in another survivor whether it was a man or a woman, and we would share and we would talk and we would explain things that we were going through. And with me, I am one of the few survivors who speaks to the military. So I'm still seeing what's going on daily. And now my next stop, once I feel a little bit better, is going to be hopping over on the Congress side. Congressman Mike Turner is actually stepping up and taking on the bill on the House side. He used to host MS uh, military sexual trauma caucuses for me. So every year I would have a caucus on Capitol Hill discussing sexual assault in the military and resources and things like that. So all members of Congress can send their staffers and they can start learning what I was really coming in and talking (laughs) about. They're the ones that make the laws. They're the ones that change all the laws. And getting them on board is really extremely hard. And I have been so thankful that Senator Gillibrand has gotten such a support this time. I think a lot of it has to do with everything that is going on. You know, there's been a lot of media in the last two years over the military sexual assault. Fort Hood has gotten pommeled from it. You know, you got Fort Sill that is now under fire. We, we have the academies that have been under fire and it's time to make a change. And that's what I like what she's doing. I don't always agree with everything that she does, but I really appreciate how she has been nonstop fighting this and nonstop being there for us. And it doesn't matter if you're her constituent or not. She has been out there taking the, as I call it, she's the quarterback getting tackled all the time. And and I appreciate that. And that's, you know, when I come into D.C., I do it not because she's asking me to. It's because I believe in her and I believe in what she's saying.
0: Absolutely. And we are just anxiously awaiting the report from the independent commission that is reviewing sexual assault in the military and no gray zones. Friend Lynn Rosenthal is chairing that commission. So we can't wait to see what comes out of it. It would be remiss if I didn't mention right now, Heath, just to highlight so much of what you are have been talking about is the commission is seeking survivor input and survivor stories. And that is all survivors. And we don't want it to be just, just, female survivors who are sharing the story. We want everybody to go to the independent commissions page. If they've been a victim of sexual assault in the military and make their report and their suggestions for improvements. And Heath, one of the things that is near and dear to my heart as I as military dependent, growing up a military spouse after that, and I have lived on military bases all over this world. And I've been fortunate to do so but I know it's important to speak at these military bases. And I know that's something that you have been doing and have made a point to make a part of your life. And so can you talk a little bit about how it came to be that you started talking about sexual assault on the military bases and what positive things you've seen come out of that?
3: I accidentally got into speaking at the military. It was in 2014. I was, um, I own a house in New York. I am about an hour and a half below Fort Drum. And somebody reached out to me from Fort Drum and asked me if I'd be willing to come up and speak. You know, and I remember, I've spoken in Congress and, you know, I've spoken on platforms and in the media, but never back to the military. So it was something going there for the first time speaking. I was scared. They wanted me to speak for an hour. I think I lasted 20 minutes. But since then, it's not that it really gets easier it's i've learned how to read the audience and i've learned how to articulate how i'm speaking for them to understand what i'm saying as far as like what i went through or like when i'm talking to the younger e1 e2 e3s me being a young sailor you know i i'm able to relate with them and explain to them the things that i went through and as statistics show the highest rates of sexual assault in the military is with the E1, E2, E3s. So it's easier to talk to them and explain what to look for and the signs and how, how to technically help themselves to not be in situations like that. And then, I you know, I talk about the program, the sexual assault programs, and if something does happen, how to go forward, or if you see something, just start talking about it. And, you know, when I talk to the commanders, I always share that, E1s, E2s, E3s are terrified of them. I understand they're in a power of authority, but they have to do something different to let the E1s, e 2 E3s know that they're approachable. They can come to them and talk to them. And I do uh, criminal investigation courses. So the criminal investigation division has courses, I think it's like nine times out of a year, uh, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. And um, it's a sexual assault investigation course that they do. And I've been doing that I share what I went through, and then I talk about, you know, when they're doing the questionings and things like that. And it's amazing how far I've gotten. You know, I never in a million years thought that what I went through could be used as something good. And I never realized that by me speaking out and you know, different places in the military, I have survivors come to me. And I have not just survivors, but I also have victims come to me and ones that have never reported and thanked me. And I, just in April, had a young boy, 18 years old, come and talk to me. He didn't want to report because he was afraid that the guy that was assaulting him had a wife and kid. And he was afraid that the wife and kid would find out. But I'm like, well, why are you worried about the wife and kid? The guy is not worried about the wife and kid. And so uh, after we talked for a while, and he's like, Well, how did you have the strength to talk, you know, speak up? And I said, Well, I didn't have anybody, but you know what? You have somebody, you have me right now. And I went and brought him over to the victim advocate, and we started talking, and he reported. That is what I like seeing. That's it. at the end of the day, that's what makes my high the light highlight of my life, you know, is it's like you guys. Um, when you guys are doing cases, when you get the guilty, it's like yes, you know, uh, it, it 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 just empowers you, and I like having my power back. You know, it's just amazing the reception that you get.
2: What kind of just last parting thoughts? Because uh, we're we're getting towards the end. That you can have for for somebody who may be struggling because they haven't found the courage to to disclose their sexual abuse. What what would you want them to know?
3: You know. When I first started sharing, I was so scared. And it wasn't scared um, like of a spider or, or getting a car accident type scared. It was scared of how somebody would react with me sharing. And I was scared on how people would look at me. And the more I started sharing and the more people shook my hand and thanked me and hugged me. And uh, I'm proud of you. And that still felt good. Well, I think what felt good was I wasn't holding in the the embarrassment of being raped. You know, I I was letting it out. I I was not ashamed of being weak, as people call it, because I was actually stronger than most people because I came forward and I talked. And I kind of tell people that when I'm talking, you know, I try to emphasize that you're not weak. You know, you are strong because look if you're coming forward, look at the strength you have. And each time I talk about things, each time I share things, more of Heath is coming back. And it's not, I know I'm not going to be the Heath before I was assaulted. I'll never be that. But what I'm proud to say is I'm not Heath from six months ago or a year ago because I'm getting better And part of me getting better is talking and sharing and knowing I'm helping people. I I take so much pride in knowing how much I help others. You know, I I spent 20 years of my life a mess. And when I say mess, I I was a mess. I was a drunk. I I did drugs. I got in trouble. I was arrested. I've been in jail. You know, I, I wasn't nice to my family. I was not a nice person. That is another part of me healing is knowing I'm giving back. And making amends for that. He said, didn't know what was wrong with him. And, and now I'm helping people because I don't want nobody to have that life. That was horrible. And, and that is what I mean when I'm talking about healing. You know, I look at all them things. Now, if I could just look, figure out how to stay in a relationship, I'd be even happier.
0: <laughs> well, Heath, we, we do thank you so much for sharing your story and being so honest about your story and the struggle. And I think it's really important for people who have suffered from abuse to know that you can come out the other side, that although the struggle can get ugly in the middle and it can be harmful in the middle, there is a chance to come out the other side. There is a chance to find joy and to make a difference And however it is, be it speaking at a military base or just being able to look at yourself and say, I'm, I'm okay. I'm enough. I'm good as how I am. So we can't thank you enough for sharing that and continuing to share that well beyond this podcast with everyone you speak with. But that is all the time we have for today. If you want to learn more about Heath, you can find him on his LinkedIn page or his Twitter at h a HAPhillips71. And be sure to check out his story on the Protect Our Defenders webpage. Heath, it's been a true honor to have you join us on No Gray Zone today
3: there's so many different ways that you can share things. If you're afraid to talk to somebody, you can write it out. And I actually used to write it out a lot. And then I would rip it up and throw it away. And it was me getting it out. And if you have somebody, you know, you can confide in, talk to them. You know, you can go to a priest, you can go to a therapist. I recommend everybody to go see a therapist to get help. And holding something in like that, will destroy you eventually i wholeheartedly believe that as hard as it is to share it it's even harder to hold it in
2: thank you so much um, for joining us and as always if you like what you hear please subscribe and you can find us on social media at no gray zone rrc on instagram twitter and no gray zone on facebook there are no excuses when it comes to sexual assault or not having the right response when it comes to disclosing
1: I'm just good at caring too much. I'm just good at.